morning, everyone. My first observation when I walked into this place is I said to the guys, this is a lively group of people, and I love it. And I've got to say how thankful I am um, for the invitation and to be able to come up and to be a part of the Love Incorruptible Conference. And that was just such a sweet time with the church here and Christ the King Community Church down at Gibson's. And what a great time that we had just opening up the Bible and just learning from Jesus and worshiping the Lord. It was just so great. But also, I just want to say thank you for your hospitality. I'll tell you, one of the the things that, um, to me, that is so beautiful about this church is the amazing hospitality that you show. Um, And uh, I'm just a big fan of your pastor and his wife. And I'm just so blessed that he gets to serve you as your pastor, just leading and nourishing and caring for you. And, And I'm just encouraged knowing that you're in great hands. So, but I can, I can keep talking about all that stuff, but we're here to talk about Jesus. We want to brag about him today. And so this morning, I'd like you to open up your Bibles to book number four in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, John chapter 14, John chapter 14, and if you don't know where that is, check the table of contents or bug the person next to you. Hey, where's John 14. So John chapter 14, and this morning what I'd like to do is I'm just going to read a couple of verses from this 14th chapter, and then we'll pray, and I want to share a message with you um, that I've entitled, The Holy Spirit and Us. So John chapter 14, looking at verses 16 and 17, John 14, 16 and 17, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version Bible this morning. And here in verse 16, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, but it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the presence of Jesus in this place. And we want to thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you're merciful and gracious and you're unchanging in all of that. Lord, we want to thank you for how you've blessed this weekend by just pouring out grace upon grace as people gathered on Friday and Saturday and and believers are gathering in their churches today to open up the Bible and to learn from you and to worship you. We just pray that you would pour out your grace upon every believer that's gathered to worship you. And Lord, I want to thank you for this church. I want to thank you that this fellowship has a long history, a legacy of being a church that is Christ-centered and Bible-saturated and a church that is standing on the grounds of grace and how we relate to you and understanding how you relate to us. And so we pray that that you would just do a good work in this place and each and every life that's represented here. Lord, every single one of us, we all come from different backgrounds and we're all bringing in different baggage and 
And Lord, we all find ourselves in different situations and circumstances, but Lord, you remain constant. And Lord, you're there. You're there all the time with us. You said you would never leave us and you would never forsake us. And so I pray that we would just know Jesus in such a deeper way today. And Lord, that we would drink in of his life and of his love today. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now the verses that I started this morning with, here in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, I think for a lot of us, these are very familiar words. Now, these words are found in what we call the upper room discourse. Now, when someone talks about the upper room discourse, they're making reference to John chapters 13 and 14. And the reason why it's called this is because this is a conversation that Jesus had with his closest friends, these disciples in an upper room. And this upper room, it was in the city of Jerusalem, and the timing was the Passover was approaching, and so they were there to celebrate this feast. Now, let's keep in mind that as this conversation is happening between Jesus and these men, this is the same night that Jesus is going to be arrested to stand trial before the Jewish Supreme Court, the religious Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin, and in those trials, Jesus is going to be condemned to death. And so we know the story, right? We know that Jesus, he's going to be arrested and found guilty of blasphemy. He's going to be taken to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and condemned to death. He's going to be crucified and hanging on a cross for six hours, and then he's going to die and be buried, and three days later rise again from the dead. But before all of that stuff happens, this conversation happens. Jesus is with his closest friends in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus is just pouring out his heart to these men. Now, among the topics that Jesus discusses with these guys, he talks about the Holy Spirit. And the reason why is because the subject of the Holy Spirit is that important. Have you ever had a conversation with a dying person? I have, my dad. Back in 2011, I was pastoring a church in Brazil. I had been a pastor there for 10 years. And then I got a phone call from my mom right when I was about to walk out the door to do our Christmas Eve service. And my mom said, your dad has been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Now, we had already purchased our airline tickets to come back to California to spend Christmas with them. And so I told my mom, okay, just we'll get a second opinion when I get back to California. So let's just keep praying. And so we came back, and the second and third opinions, it was all consistent. My dad only had six months to live at best. I remember the day before my dad went home to be with Jesus. He was rushed to the hospital because he was having some breathing problems, and there they stabilized him in his hospital room, and the doctor came by to examine him, and all of a sudden, six months turned into a couple of days. Now, I'm an only child, and so I was there sitting bedside with my dad and my mom, 
And I, I will never forget the conversation that happened in that room. Because my dad knew that he only had a few hours left of life. And so the things he wanted to say to my mom and the things he wanted to say to me, these were things that mattered to him. And the reason why my dad is my hero is because in that moment, bedside next to my dad, the day before Jesus took him to heaven, my dad talked a whole lot about Jesus. Because that's what mattered to him. He wanted my mom to love Jesus and to keep on loving Jesus. And he wanted his only son to love Jesus and keep on loving Jesus. And so now here is Jesus. He is hours away from dying for the sins of the world. This, these are the last moments that Jesus is going to have with his disciples until after he rises again from the dead. Jesus knows that he's going to go to a cross and be nailed to that cross, and he's going to be mocked and rejected. For hours, he's going to be in the presence and in the hands of his enemies, but in these few precious hours, he gets to be with his friends. And so he talks. He talks about all sorts of things that is going to matter for these men, not only for that time that Jesus was going to die, but for everything else that was going to follow in life. And among these many subjects, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Because the subject of the Holy Spirit is that important. This is information, this relationship between the Holy Spirit and believers, you and me, this is information that every Christian should know because it's essential for Christian, healthy Christian living. And so as we spend time looking at these verses, there's a couple of things that I hope to accomplish. The first is, I want us to learn who the Holy Spirit is. Now, there's a lot of talk about living in the Spirit and experiencing the Spirit and and doing ministry and life in the Holy Spirit, but there's a lot of Christians that really are confused about who the Holy Spirit is. In fact, different churches have different ideas and opinions about the Holy Spirit. For some people, the Holy Spirit is a cosmic force. For other people, the Holy Spirit is some kind of an emanation from God. For some people, the Holy Spirit is the forgotten member of the Trinity, Kind of like that weird uncle. You know, the one what, yeah, like you're good with the Father and the Son, and you, you like them sitting on the front of the bus, but let's keep the Holy Spirit, that weird uncle, in the back of the bus. And so for some people, he's the forgotten member of the Trinity, but for other people, he seems to be the only person in the Trinity. But God wants us to know the truth about him. But not just to know him theoretically and academically, but to know him personally, relationally. So we're going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. But secondly, I want us to know what the Holy Spirit does. What does the Holy Spirit do in the life of a Christian? And again, I think this is a really important subject to talk about because sometimes, you know, 
You show up to church, and when you find out they're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden the defensive wall goes up because you're thinking, oh, man, this is going to be a really weird service. And I get that because there's a lot of confusion about the work of the Holy Spirit among lots of different Christians today. And it's due on one side because of hyper-sensationalism about the Holy Spirit, but then on the extreme other side, there's an undervaluing of the worth of the Holy Spirit. And when, whenever you end up in these two extremes, you're going to end up with either one, fear and aversion in relationship to the Holy Spirit, or number two, there's going to be this heightened emotionalism and charismania, or number three, there are people who are very impassive and disinterested towards the subject of the Holy Spirit altogether. But listen, those extremes are both wrong. We've got to come back to the Bible and we have to let Jesus teach us. We have to let the scriptures guide us. And we have to let the Holy Spirit reveal to us the truth about who he is and what he does because it was that important that Jesus spends his final moments with his disciples to talk much about him. So here we go. Number one, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, look at verse 16 and 17 again. Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Dot, dot, dot. So let's just stop there. These words are about the Holy Spirit. In fact, in these verses, Jesus spoke of another helper. He also referred to him as the spirit of truth. And then later, to make it very clear, in verse 26, he calls him the Holy Spirit. Now, before we can go anywhere else, you have to first meet the Holy Spirit. You have to be introduced to him. And that's exactly what I'd like to do for you this morning. I'd like to introduce you to the Holy Spirit. Who is he? And I think the first and most basic thing that we need to know about the Holy Spirit is that he is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, I'm not talking about a person in the sense of a a, a man with a human body. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit being a person, we are saying that he is a personal spirit with personality. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit has all the the essential components of a person. The Bible teaches us he has intelligence, he has a will, and he has emotions. In fact, here in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, I want you to see that Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit not as it, but he uses the personal pronouns he, him, whom, because he's a person. Now, I think that too often I meet people who still think the Holy Spirit is it, but he's not an it. He's a who. He is not a something. He is a someone. Now, here's the reason why understanding this is so important. There is a classic book that was written in the early 20th century by a man named R.A. Torrey. R.A. Torrey was the first president of Moody Bible College. He was a 
good friend of the American evangelist D.L. Moody. And he wrote a book called The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit. And speaking on the personality of the Holy Spirit, he said this, and I think it's such a good, practical point he makes. He said, quote, If we think of the Holy Spirit as so many do, as merely a power or influence, our constant thought will be, well, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way as a divine person, our thought will rather be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? That's the difference. When we think of the Holy Spirit as merely an it, we think of him as something we can stuff down our pocket. And so we're constantly talking, well, how much of you, how much of you or excuse me, how much of the Holy Spirit do you have? How much of the Holy Spirit can I get? But when you understand that he's a person, a divine person, then we begin to change the question and ask, how much more of me can the Holy Spirit have? He's not an it. He is a who. He's not a something. He is a someone. But he's not just a person. Listen, the Holy Spirit is God. And you've got to understand how amazing this is for me to be able to say this in a building that used to be a kingdom hall. <laughs> for me to be able to say the Holy Spirit is God because the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that, let alone the Trinity. But listen, the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, if you're a note taker, you want to jot that down or turn there and write it in the margin of your Bible. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit God. He's God. In fact, as you read through the Bible, we see that the Holy Spirit, he possesses the unique attributes of God. We see that he does the unique works of God, and we also see in the Bible that his words are called the word of God. So however you think about the Holy Spirit, you need to understand this. He is a person, and he is God. That means the Holy Spirit, he is the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere-present, all-glorious God. Is that how you think of the Holy Spirit? I think for many of us, there's still that thing that even though theologically, theoretically, we understand that, because it's on our creed, but practically, personally, we still see him as just kind of just beneath God the Father, God the Son, in deity, power, glory, and worth. But the reality is the doctrine of the Trinity, you guys know what that is, right? That we believe that there is only one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son and the Spirit. The Son is not the Father and the Son, or the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father and the Son. These are Three distinct persons, and yet there is one God in substance. John, what does that mean? I don't know. That's why he's God, and that's why I worship him. 
If he was small enough for me to pack into my brain and have it all mathematically and scientifically figured out, that makes me bigger than God, and that makes him not worthy of my praise and worship. But I'm so glad that God is bigger than my brain. And it was the famous London pastor, G. Campbell Morgan, that said, when my exegesis fails, I worship. But it's what the Bible teaches. It's what the Bible teaches us about God. There is only one God. And he eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means that all three persons are equal in deity, equal in glory, equal in power, and equal in worth. And for some of us, there needs to be a paradigm shift that happens. We start thinking of the Holy Spirit like that. Again, to quote R.A. Torrey, speaking on the Holy Spirit being God, he said this, It is of the highest importance from the standpoint of worship that we decide whether the Holy Spirit is a divine person, talking about him being a person who's God, worthy to receive our adoration, our faith, our love, and our entire surrender to himself, or whether it is simply an influence emanating from God or a power or an illumination that God imparts to us. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is a person and a divine person and we do not know him as such, then we are robbing a divine being of the worship and the faith and the love and the surrender to himself, which are his How often have we robbed God the Holy Spirit of the worship and obedience and the devotion that he is due? He's God. The Holy Spirit is a person, but he's more than just a person. He is God. Now here in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus calls him another helper. Now, in telling his disciples about his departure, here in this upper room discourse, he was talking about his departure to the cross, and then ultimately he would depart back to heaven. As he was talking about these things, this fell on the disciples like a load of bricks. I mean, for three and a half years, they had been with Jesus. Jesus had taken care of them. Jesus had provided for them. Jesus had come to their rescue. And now he's talking about leaving them? They felt a bit anxious. And one way that Jesus comforts them is with this promise that he would not leave them alone. In fact, in verse 18, Jesus said those comforting words, I will not leave you orphans. And so what Jesus promised to do for these men is that he would send them another helper. This is the Holy Spirit. Now again, for you that were with us on Friday night at the conference, you remember I made the statement that words matter in the Bible. Every word matters. The Bible is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Every word matters. Now here in John chapter 14, 
when Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as another helper, there are two Greek words that can be used that's translated another. For example, there is a word when you use the word another, it's another of a different kind. So if you were at a restaurant and you had ordered a Coke, and after you emptied your glass and the waitress comes over and says, can I get you another drink? And then you say, yes, could I get a glass of water? She's going to bring you another drink, but it's another of a different kind. But there's another Greek word that means another of the same kind, same quality. And that's the word that's used here. So if you said to the waitress, you know, I had a Coke, could I get another glass of Coke? Yes, you get another Coke of the same kind. When Jesus said he's going to send another helper... He's speaking about the Holy Spirit on the level of coming and bringing the kind of help and comfort of equal quality to Jesus for these men. It's pretty encouraging to think about. That with the coming of the Holy Spirit, they're not getting someone who is less than Jesus. But the comfort and the help that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would bring to them would be of the same kind, the same quality as Jesus. And we see how the Holy Spirit helped them. We see how the Holy Spirit um, comforted them as you read through the pages of the book of Acts. But not only does Jesus refer to the Holy Spirit as another helper, one who comes alongside and brings comfort and help, but he also describes him as the Spirit of Truth. This is the title of the Holy Spirit. He is someone who always speaks the truth. He is someone who always acts according to the truth. Listen, there is no falsehood in the Holy Spirit. He is incapable of lying and deceiving. And the Holy Spirit shows us what is true and false, what is right and wrong, especially in this time, in this age of moral and philosophical relativism. Where we talk about truth as not really being existent. Everything's abstract and subjective, and there is no absolute truth. But in God's economy, truth is absolute. And that's why when we read in, um, in 2 Peter chapter 1 that the Bible came to us by the Holy Spirit, and he's called the Spirit of Truth, that's why we can be confident that every word of God is truth. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. He's our helper. The Holy Spirit is God, and that means he is worthy of all our praise and worthy of all of our obedience. Well, the number two, what does the Holy Spirit do? Now that we know who the Holy Spirit is, let's get a bit more practical. What does the Holy Spirit do? Again, reading verses 16 and 17, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, I want you to focus in there in verse 16. Jesus said, 
that he may abide with you forever. That's what he does. Now look at verse 17. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is the description of the relationship between the Holy Spirit and Christians, you and me. The Holy Spirit, in how he relates to you and me, is that he is with us and he is within us. The Holy Spirit is with us and the Holy Spirit is within us. Jesus said it in verse 17. He dwells with you and will be in you. And listen, this language, these words, this is a special and unique relationship between God the Holy Spirit and us. This is what distinguishes Christians from non-Christian people. In fact, Jesus said there in verse 17 that the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, that's non-Christians. But Christians, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this is what makes a Christian different from a non-Christian. It's not because a Christian might go to church and a non-Christian might not go to church. You know, there are some non-Christians that are more faithful going to church than some Christians I've met. In fact, down at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, I recently met this young man. And he is a very highly educated atheist. And he comes every Sunday because his wife is a Christian. And he loves his wife enough, his wife says, you come to church with me. And so, so I've had some great conversations with this guy, but this guy comes to church more than some Christians I know in the church. So we can't look to that to be the clear distinction between a non-Christian and a Christian, or even reading the Bible, or even going out and doing missions work. Listen, what makes a clear line of separation, distinction between a Christian and a non-Christian is that the Christian has the Holy Spirit dwelling within him and a non-Christian doesn't. That is the difference. And so Jesus tells us about this relationship that we have with him, and he first tells us that the Holy Spirit remains with us. I am so encouraged by um, these words. In verse 16, that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17, he dwells with you. When Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit being with us, these words highlight the closeness and the communion of the Holy Spirit with us. In fact, the words translated abide and dwells, they're all the same word. And it means to live, to remain in. And in the Greek language, you guys know the New Testament was written in Greek. In the Greek language, this preposition with, it implies union, companionship, fellowship. Those are pretty intimate terms. You see, when we think about the Holy Spirit being with us, we need to understand that Jesus is not describing a relationship between a parole officer and a parolee. But instead, 
He's describing a withness, a relationship that happens between a Christian and God the Holy Spirit because relationship exists, an intimate relationship. One of my favorite truths about the Holy Spirit that's found in the Bible is this. In Romans chapter 15, verse 30, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit loves us. When was the last time you thought about you being loved by God the Holy Spirit? God the Father, God the Son. Hey, I'm good with that. I, I, I live in that reality. God the Father loves me. Yes, I get that. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. I get that. Oh, Jesus loving me, I totally get that. For I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I get that. But when was the last time you thought, wow, God the Holy Spirit you love me with an everlasting, relentless, incorruptible love. And just living in that reality. And the amazing thing about the love of the Holy Spirit is that too often, we're going about our day ignoring the Holy Spirit. Let alone relating to Him in intimate fellowship. And, and here's the thing that's so amazing about the Holy Spirit. Whether you recognize his nearness or not, whether you recognize his presence or not, right now in this room, you might not have even thought about the Holy Spirit until this Bible study started. But you know what? This whole time you've been sitting here, the Holy Spirit has been dumping out a whole lot of his love on you today. He loves you. And he can love because he's a person. And his love for us is perfect because he's God. That, that is a huge wow factor. Yes, we are fully loved by God the Father. We are fully loved by God the Son. And listen, we are fully loved by God the Holy Spirit. Wow. And in this love, the Holy Spirit has brought us into fellowship with him. That's what 2 Corinthians 13, 14 tells us. The communion of the Holy Spirit, the Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And you know what fellowship is, right? Fellowship means to be in common with God. In union. And I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is so committed to you and me that in spite of all of our flaws, in spite of all of our mess, in spite of the truth of who we are, and that is that we are saints who still sin. The Holy Spirit says that he will remain with us for how long? Forever. And you guys know, the Greek word translated forever, it means forever. Foreverness, eternity, without end, nonstop. He's always with us. We're never alone. 
Someone has once said that the loneliest place on planet Earth is when you have no friends. You're alone. You could be in the busiest and most urban of cities, and yet day after day, people who live in these large communities in these large cities still go home feeling very alone. But for the Christian, for the person who is in a right vertical relationship with God through faith in Jesus, One of the benefits of being a Christian is we are never, never, never alone. However you might be feeling right now, the Holy Spirit is with you. And he's never going to leave you. That's pretty amazing. But the second thing, not only is he with us, But Jesus says that he resides within us. Verse 17, he will be in you. Now this happened the moment we started trusting in Jesus to be our one and only Savior. That's what a Christian is. Again, a Christian isn't someone who just goes to church or reads their Bible or goes on a missions trip. A Christian is someone who recognizes there is no one better than Jesus. There is no one greater than Jesus because only Jesus can rescue us from our sin problem and from the wrath of God. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place. He paid the ransom for our redemption. He satisfied the wrath of God and he completed the work of salvation. And he died and he was buried and three days later rose again from the dead. And that resurrection, it validates that what Jesus did for us on the cross at Calvary was accepted by God. And so there is no other Savior. There is no other way to heaven except through Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit who revealed that truth to us. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. And you just didn't know what to expect when you walked into this place. But there's something that even though you might have heard sermons upon sermons, but today you're sitting there and you're thinking, I actually get what that Korean up there is saying. You know why the light bulb is clicking on? The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. And the Holy Spirit is doing in your life what he loves doing best, and that's magnifying Jesus. That's glorifying Jesus. And the moment a person says, I want Jesus to be my Savior, Lord Jesus, come and take full ownership of my heart. I I pledge my allegiance to King Jesus At that moment, you're born again, and that means that the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. Back in Ezekiel 36, as the prophet was anticipating the coming new covenant, because in the old covenant, relationship with God, it was all based on the law, rules and regulations. And God didn't give the Ten Commandments to give us any idea of hope that we can somehow earn our way and be good enough to get to heaven. Listen, the Old Testament, that was... Thousands of years of God wanting to just frustrate humanity. He gave us the law so that we would live in perpetual frustration. That there is no way any of us can keep the law. There's no way any of us can earn heaven. And that's why simultaneously God said, here's the law. Oh, by the way, 
a Savior's coming, a Redeemer's coming, I'm going to rescue you from sin. Oh, by the way, a new covenant's coming, and this new covenant, it's not going to be based on the law anymore. It's going to be on grace. And Jesus is going to bring that. So the moment you give your heart to Jesus, the Spirit of God now comes to live inside of you, and no longer is your relationship with God based on human performance and legal law. But now, you relate to God as your dad. And he relates to you as his child. And I'll tell you what. I love my kids, but they are squirrely. And they know how to get into mischief, especially my little girl, Anna. I love her to pieces, but she knows she has conquered me. But I'll tell you Whenever they act up, and whenever they're like seriously disappointed, or not disappointed, but um, they've disobedient, and as much as I have to discipline them, I'll tell you what, I will never kick them out of my house. I will never disown my kids. Why? Because they're my kids. I'm not going to pass them off to my neighbors. I'm not going to take them down to the Salvation Army and leave them there as a donation. They are my kids. And as long as I'm their dad, I'm going to be right there with them in all of their mess. And I will train them. I will discipline them. And I will love them. And that is the relationship you have with God. He's your dad, and we're his kids, and he'll discipline us, and he'll go the distance, but he'll never abandon us, and he'll never get rid of us. So the Holy Spirit is now living inside of us. In Romans 8, 9, Paul said, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So that's what a Christian is. The Holy Spirit lives within us. But the Holy Spirit is doing something in us. The Bible tells us that as he's dwelling within us, he seals us, he assures us, he leads us, he empowers us, and he transforms us. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me quickly share with you what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life right now as you're sitting in this room. First, the Holy Spirit has sealed us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Paul says, In him, that's Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, listen, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, that meant something to the people that Paul was writing to there in Ephesus. You see, Ephesus, the ancient city of Ephesus, was a major marketplace there in modern-day Turkey. Back then, it was known as Asia Minor. It was a coastal city. And so merchants from east and west, they would travel to Ephesus to buy and sell. And so there would be merchants from Rome who would go and do business there in Ephesus, 
And as they made their purchases, they would then take all the items that were purchased, they would pack it up, and they would seal it with a wax seal, and it would be imprinted with their signet ring. And then all of the purchased possessions would be taken to the docks there and on a cargo ship, and it would sail to Puteoli, which was the major harbor for Rome. Once the items arrived at the docks of Puteoli, the merchants would then send their servants and say, look for the seal. Because whatever has my seal, that belongs to me. When Paul says that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, he's describing two things about every Christian. Number one, the Holy Spirit authenticates that we are the real, genuine Christian. That's how we know that we belong to him, because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. But number two, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, God assures us that he's going to get us to heaven. No matter how you feel about if you're going to make it or not, just even this last weekend, I've already talked with a couple of people who are just terrified, nervous, wondering if they've been living a good enough Christian life, if they're going to make it to heaven or not. Listen, if you belong to Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit has sealed you, and that means the Holy Spirit is going to protect you and guarantee you that you're going to get to heaven. This is what makes Christianity different from all the other religions of the world. You ask a Roman Catholic, hey, are you going to go to heaven? Their response, I sure hope so. You ask a Muslim, are you going to make it into heaven? Will Allah allow you in? And they say, I sure hope so. But you ask a Christian, are you getting to heaven? I know that I know that I know that I'm getting to heaven. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. He sealed us. But number two, he assures us that we are the children of God. In Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. Kids still say that in Israel. You still hear the little kids calling out to Dad with their arms stretched out, Abba, 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 they're saying, Papa, Daddy. And then he says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So the Holy Spirit, he's called the Spirit of Adoption. Now, we enter into God's family through the new birth. When we give our hearts to Jesus Christ, a miracle happens. We're born again. We're born of God. We're born of the Spirit. That's the new birth. But something happens the moment you're born again, God's Spirit then places you in God's family as the adopted adult son. The reason why is because the adult son is the rightful heir of the father's inheritance. And Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 that God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. In other words, all the resources of heaven are accessible for you and me right now to access so that we can live a victorious Christian life here on earth. 
we can start enjoying the first fruits is the presence of the Holy Spirit within our lives. But the spiritual riches that are in heaven, the promises of God, we can start accessing those promises right now because we've been elevated to adult standing. Now, my son, eight years old, I put him in my will. I don't have much to give him, but he's in my will. But I'll tell you what, there's a condition for when he can access his inheritance. Not when he's eight, but when he's an adult. Because if I had a million dollars and he could access it right now, I know what would happen to that million dollars. It would be gone, and I would walk into his room, and it would look exactly like a Lego store. So we wait for our children to become adults so that they can use some wisdom and apply the inheritance then. But you know what? In God's economy, you are elevated to adult standing the moment you're born again. That's why all those promises in the Bible, over 4,000 promises in the Bible that are accessible and that God wants us to enjoy, we can start enjoying now. Isn't that amazing? Because the Spirit of God is in our life. And the Spirit, he, he bears witness with our human spirit that we belong to God. Has that happened to you? It doesn't mean that we're not going to have moments where we're going to doubt our salvation. But those moments should be few and far between. Because in general, we sense that the Holy Spirit is constantly, constantly bringing the assurance in spite of how I feel and in spite of how I feel fail, I am a child of God, and I belong to Jesus. Number three, the Holy Spirit leads us in God's will. In Romans 8, 14, Paul says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And this is one of the characteristics of someone who is born of God. They are led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit wants to lead us, and we want to follow and so the Holy Spirit, he leads us in our worship. He leads us in, our, in holiness. He leads us in ministry. He leads us in our relationships. He leads us in life, and he leads us in God's will. And he usually does that in our time of just meditating on his word in prayer. Sometimes he'll use circumstances like for Paul and his missionary team as they sought to go into the deep parts of Asia, and it says that the Holy Spirit did not permit them. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will use godly people around us to speak wise counsel into our lives. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will just settle us with that peace that rules our hearts and umpires our hearts. But the Holy Spirit, listen, he wants to lead you. He doesn't want the will of God to be a mystery to you. Sometimes we think that's what God wants. He wants the will of God to be mysterious, and he wants me to try to figure it out and hope that I end up where I'm supposed to be. But I think the reason why so often we get confused about the will of God is because we're trying to lead the shepherd instead of sheep being led by the shepherd. Listen, it's not the job of the sheep to lead the shepherd. It's the job of the shepherd to lead the sheep. And so the Holy Spirit, we surrender to his leadership and we say, Lord, I have no idea where I'm going, like Abraham, but you know. And you don't need a GPS. So I'll let you get me to where I'm supposed to be. Number four, the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome sin and practice holiness. So thankful for that. 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 2, Paul says, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from, listen, the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. You know what the law of sin says, right? You must sin. It's a law. And you know what the law of death says? Because you sin, you must die. But then here in Romans chapter 8, Paul introduces a greater principle called the law of the spirit of life. Think of it this way. Think of the law of sin and death like the law of gravity. I'll go to the bridge, and I'll look at how high I am, and I'll see how far the water is beneath me, and I'll say, you know what? I'm going to jump off this bridge, and I will defy the law of gravity. And I jump off the bridge. No matter how much wishful thinking I can apply, the law is in motion. The law of gravity and the law is screaming at me, you must come down and splash. Knowing me, it will probably be a very painful belly flop. And I end up in the water. I think too often a lot of Christians try to battle temptation and sin that way. We look at the law of sin and death and we say, you know what? On my own, I am going to say no to the sin. I'm going to be victorious over the sin. And we jump off the edge and the law of sin and death is saying, you must sin. You must die. But then Jesus changes everything. He introduces a new principle, a greater principle. The law of the spirit of life the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. When I came here, I got on a plane at LAX, and that plane, Air Canada, took off the runway, and it went straight up in the air. And for almost three hours, I was up in the air in an airplane that weighed far more than me. But during that whole time that that airplane was up in the air, the law of gravity was still in play. And the law of gravity was screaming at that airplane, you must come down, you must come down. But that airplane said, not for three hours, I won't. And then it landed in Vancouver. How could that airplane say no to the law of gravity? a greater principle was then introduced. It's called the law of aerodynamics. The law of the spirit of life is the greater principle, the greater law than the law of sin and death. That's why without Jesus, it's impossible to say no to sin. But for those who are Christians, when we're faced with the temptation to sin, as Paul said in Romans 8, you are not obligated to obey the desires of the flesh. You can say no. We can say no. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And number five, what is the Holy Spirit doing in us? He's transforming us. He's conforming us into the image of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, we were all created in the image of God, but that image was ruined because of sin. 
And so when you look at a non-Christian, we still see reflections of that past image. But it's like looking into a mirror that had a brick thrown right into it. You've got cracks and breaks and pieces missing, but you can still look in the mirror and still see glimmers of the former reflection. That's why when some people say, how is it that there's some non-Christians that have better marriages than some Christians I know? How is it there's some non-Christians that are more hospitable than some Christians in the church? It's because we still can see shattered, broken, and yet reflections of the former image. But sin ruined it. But when Jesus comes into our heart, And the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. The Holy Spirit begins a reconstruction project on our lives. There is a reordering. As we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, all of a sudden we see that from glory to glory, as the the English um, Standard Version puts it, from one degree of glory to another, we're being transformed into the same image of Jesus. And when we get to heaven, the work will be complete. And the Holy Spirit guarantees that. And I'll tell you, be encouraged. God has not failed on that promise. There is no one that's going to get to heaven and only be 50% done and God say, I, I'm just so sorry. You know, I, I just got super busy, you know, just a whole bunch of people. They really needed me at that moment. I guess you're just going to have to spend the rest of eternity as, you know, half Jesus and half Adam. No. You might be discouraged today as you see other Christians in your life. And you're thinking, gosh, why, why doesn't my life look more like that person's Christianity? But you don't have to be discouraged. Because when we all stand before Jesus, every single one of us, the process might have felt fast or slow, but every single one of us are going to hear the ding on the timer as God says, complete, done. And we all get to go to heaven looking just like Jesus. Because that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. And he's doing it because he loves you. And he's able to do it because he's God. Now, as we finish this thing up, there's a couple of things I just want to wrap up with. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and we'll just finish out with one last song. But just a couple of things I just wanted to share with you before I leave. Number one, maybe you're here today, and you're not a Christian. But today, you understand why Jesus is such a big deal. You understand why people get up on this stage and open up our mouths to talk about Jesus. And maybe it's the first time you're understanding the message today. My encouragement to you is to follow through on that. And say, Jesus, I get it. From what that guy said, I get it. I am a sinner 
in need of a Savior. I never like to think of myself as a sinner. I generally like to think of myself as a good person. But today, I get it. You demand perfection, and I am not that. And that's why you sent a perfect Jesus, a perfect Savior, to become my sin and to die in my place and be punished on account of me just so that on the cross, God the Father treated Jesus as if he lived your life so that when you become a Christian, God can treat you as if you lived Jesus' life. That's the great exchange. And all you have to do today is you say, okay, I want that, Jesus, I'm all in. In fact, at Calvary Chapel Coast of Mesa, there was this girl that came up to, for prayer after, and it, a guy brought her up, and a guy brought this girl up to me and said, listen to what this guy says, and then he takes off. And so I look at this girl, and I go, so are you here for prayer? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, well, do you come to church here? And she said, you know, to be honest with you, I've never stepped foot into a church before. I said, so, well, what do you know about Jesus? And she said, not much. I, I, just something about him dying on a cross and, and some kind of rumor that he rose again from the dead. I said, awesome, let's start there. And so I started sharing with her the truth about Jesus. And you could just tell God working in her heart in those 10 minutes. And, and afterwards, I said, so what do you think? And she's got tears rolling. And she said, I'm in. I am all in. And she gave her heart to Jesus. That might be you today. Today you're saying, I'm all in. I want Jesus to be my Savior. For others of you, you know the Holy Spirit like this. For others of you, it was a good reminder. Hey, here's the application. Tonight, prayer meeting. Prayer meeting tonight for an hour. I invite you to come back out and apply this message as you just wait on the Lord in worship and in prayer and just allow God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit just dump on you his love and allow him to empower you to live the life he wants you to live. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word and for the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that that the Spirit dwells with us and is within us, and He is magnifying Jesus. And I just pray that as we seek to grow in our relationship with Christ, that we would become more aware of the loving, powerful relationship of the Spirit with us that we would never seek to make things happen on our own, but we would always be dependent on him, that we would always be submitted to him, and, Lord, that we would follow him straight into a deeper knowledge of Christ. So, Father, for those who have yet to give their hearts to Jesus or for those who need to return back to Jesus, right now on their hearts, I pray that you would point them out and connect them with one of the pastors here so that they would just take that step and say, I need Jesus. And for all of us, as we continue to worship you in this church, may we just go deeper. So thank you, Lord, for every person here. Lord, I pray your highest blessings upon every person. In Jesus' name.